Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 695 for release on Sunday, June 19th, 2022. On WaveScan today, the powerful United States Naval Radio Station at Tarlac in the Philippines. More from Jonathan Marks about Radio Prague. And our Bangladesh DX report. Around the world in recent years, several different countries have installed large and powerful shortwave radio broadcasting stations. We can remember, for example, the Voice of America with its three associated locations at Greenville in North Carolina. They call them A, B, and C, which embodied a combined consecutive total of 32 shortwave broadcasting transmitters, 10 of which were rated at 500 kilowatts each. Likewise, in France, Radio France International operated another gigantic shortwave station at Isidun, with a combined consecutive total of 31 transmitters, 20 of which were also rated at 500 kilowatts each. The largest cluster of shortwave transmitters in the United Kingdom were the three stations at Skelton that were identified also as A, B, and C, with a consecutive total of 29 transmitters, most of which were rated at 250 and 300 kilowatts. And likewise, similar huge shortwave broadcasting stations have been erected in Germany, Russia, Ukraine, Kuwait, and elsewhere. However, in addition to those huge broadcasting stations on shortwave, several countries have also maintained huge shortwave stations specifically for communication purposes. We choose as an example a large shortwave communication station that was established in the Philippine Islands for use by the American Navy. That is our story for today, and it comes from Ray Robinson. Thanks, Jeff. Soon after the end of World War II, the U.S. Navy established a shortwave communication station at Bogobantai on the northern edge of Quezon City in the Philippines. That new radio facility was housed in mainly temporary Quonset hut buildings, and it was in general usage for American naval communications for some 20 years. Subsequently, a new and much larger naval communication station was established on Camp O'Donnell, some 50 miles further north from Quezon City. Camp O'Donnell was an American army encampment that had initially been developed in 1941, but it was taken over by the Japanese army during the following year, 1942. When American forces on the Bataan Peninsula near Manila surrendered to the Japanese conquest in March 1942, they were embarked under the Japanese on a 66-mile-long forced march to Camp O'Donnell. Many died en route during what is now known as the Bataan Death March, and some 9,000 Americans and 50,000 Filipinos were then held as prisoners of war at their destination in Camp O'Donnell. The death rate in the internment camp was also very high. Twenty years later, the Americans chose nearly 2,000 acres at Camp O'Donnell for the installation of a large, new and permanent naval radio station, which was taken into regular shortwave communication in 1962 and at that stage the Begobantai station was closed. 
The Tarlac radio transmitter station on Camp O'Donnell contained three separate transmitter facilities, each with its own separate antenna systems. A total of nearly 100 American personnel operated the station and its equipment, together with more than 200 local Filipino personnel as well. Upon this large radio site were two transmitter buildings and also a cluster of smaller supportive buildings. Some employees lived on the site, while others were resident in neighbouring areas. The main transmitter building was identified as Main Deck, and it contained an unspecified number of shortwave transmitters, a quantity that was just listed as a large number. These transmitters were described as high-powered, though most were rated generally at 40 kilowatts and some even just 10 kilowatts, though apparently there were some at a considerably higher power level. There were also several smaller units as well. The secondary transmitter building, known as Bullhorn, was a little smaller than main deck and had fewer transmitters, though with the same power range. The antenna systems were directional and they varied in style according to the intended coverage areas. The third transmitter facility at the Tarlac communication station was a single, powerful 500 kilowatt longwave transmitter, known locally as Big Sam, and it was housed in a mobile trailer van that was set up adjacent to the smaller transmitter building, Bullhorn. This transmitter was capable of communicating to American submarines that were submerged beneath the ocean waters of the Pacific. Most of the shortwave transmissions that were received at the Tarlac radio station were encoded and encrypted data signals, which were relayed onward to nearby naval vessels and land-based stations as needed. However, there were also many occasions when the relay of shortwave transmissions was made in unencoded English speech. The receiver station for the shortwave complex was located at San Miguel, 30 miles southeast of the Tarlac transmitter station. Communication between the two major locations, the receivers at San Miguel and the transmitters at Tarlac, was attained with a set of three-hop microwave relay transmitters. The call sign for this multi-combined international radio communication station was apparently NPP, though in an earlier era the call sign NPP had been identified with the American communication station that was located at Peking, now Beijing, in China. When satellite communication became more readily available, the multifaceted radio communication station at San Miguel Tarlac was no longer needed, and it was closed in 1989. The property was taken over for housing and for local tourism. Interestingly, the large Voice of America shortwave relay station at Tinang, which we told you about a few weeks ago and which opened in 1968, had already been in operation for more than 20 years at the time Tarlac was closed. VOA Tinang was located just 10 miles due east of the U.S. Naval Radio Station at Tarlac. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Well, today on Wayscan, we continue broadcasting a documentary from Jonathan Marks's media network Vintage Vault dedicated to the late older chip of Radio Prague. As we wandered down the hill, Ulrich explained that he'd gone to work on that fateful August day in 1968. In 68, I was in Radio Prague, and in fact, I, uh, I, I went on that fateful day, you know, of 21st of August. August? Yeah. 
I went into the building. I woke up early because uh, my wife woke me up and told me Russians are here. Uh, and she started crying, you know, it was quite an emotional start of the day. And so I hurried up a little bit and went to the building, unknowing what is uh, there. But uh, when I arrived there around 9 o'clock, maybe, or 8, 9 o'clock, the situation was relatively quiet. There was nothing. Uh, there were people standing in the Vinovatska street, just in front of the radio building. But otherwise, uh, no, no, no shooting and nothing of that sort. And so I went into the off into the building, into the office, and uh, well, started monitoring the. Uh, foreign and Czech uh, radio stations, but then uh, suddenly situation changed and I saw uh, shots being uh, fired very closely at close distance in the, uh, from the building and uh, so it seemed that uh, there is a development which can be a bit dangerous for everybody in the building and around. So I decided to leave, but it was already impossible to go through the main entrance, so I went into a... Uh, I knew the building well, and so I have chosen a back door of the building and climbed sort of a makeshift barricade and got out of the building. In 2005, I attended a European Broadcasting Union conference, which included a tour of the old Radio Free Europe studios in the Czech building. Transmissia programu RWE. Jūs klausoties radio Brīvā Eiropā. Indžio radioji ozodī. Tanašer ozodlik radios. This is Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberties, And also the BBC Czech service studio, which was operating not far away. But I also got a tour of the Radio Prague building, which was undergoing extensive renovations at the time. Miroslav Krupička, then the editor-in-chief at Radio Prague, gave me a tour around the new wing. It's always been here, was this new? Uh, no, we, we have moved here four years ago. Well, four years ago, yeah. With modern studios, contrasting with the original part of the building dating from 1933. This is an experimental broadcast of the Czechoslovak shortwave station, Praha. We beg our listeners to so kindly let us know on which wavelength and at what hour they catch this transmission. The address is Short Wave Station, Praha, Czechoslovakia. Thanks so very much, ladies and gentlemen. Posloucháte Radio Praha, vysílání Českého rozhlasu do zahraničí. You are tuned to Radio Prague, external service of Czech Radio. 
it was complete with the original Paternoster lift, which was still operating. In his office, Miroslav showed me his collection of Czech radio memorabilia, and he showed me some recent productions they'd made to commemorate the arrival of the Russians. It's in, in, from, from May 1945, yeah. there was a reconstruction of those fights this May, last May, and there was really, you know, there were, there were fights, uh, there were crowds of people watching it, and, you know, there, a movie was made on that. Really? And, yes. Uh, Has it come out? Yes, yes. I don't know if it's available commercially, but it was filmed by the Czech TV. And really? It's a, it's a sort of 45 documentary, 45 wow. minutes documentary on that. Is there, because there were, you know, radio is a very important yes, building yes, yes, within yes. the town, and there were fights for radio both in 1945 with the, you know, the Germans against the the, the Prague people, because there the, the were the, the the approaching Soviet and, and American army were not yet reaching Prague, so there was a fight against uh, Nazis by by the Prague people, and the same sort of situation happened. For the, 23 years later, in 1968, when the Russians came, they the first one of the first buildings they occupied was the Czech Radio building. But the Czech Radio employees started to defend the building, and there were similar sort of scenes, you know, in 1968. Uh, both times there was a number of victims. And, you know, and they commemorate. It's commemorated each year now. Oh. It's a you know these are these are the sort of national days. May 5th of 1945 is the so-called Prague uprising, and that, that's that's the first date, one of the one of the you know holy days, and the second uh, important date is 21st uh, 21st August 1968, which is the which is the occupation by the Russians of well basically the end of the so-called Prague Spring yeah. of the of the free period of 1960s. And uh, each time there was a fight for, a, a very tough fight, for, specifically for this building. So it's a sort of historical site of Czech Republic now. So how was it possible for Radio Free Prague to broadcast for two weeks after the 21st of August 1968? It's, it's quite interesting. Well, the, the Russian army finally managed to, of course, occupy by force the building, most of the transmission studios, but... Czechoslovak radio employees and producers were able to sort of hide away from them and broadcast secretly from the same building for, I think, for a few days before they managed to move the transmission studios outside to, to you know, various other buildings because there are, there's a number of buildings belonging to the Czechoslovak radio. And uh, this actually, this was going on for about two weeks uh, until some kind of agreement was was signed with the Soviet army, and and uh, actually the broadcasters returned back and uh, started to uh, broadcast, let's say normally, uh, you know, uh, normally under normal circumstances. But uh, this was a, you know, there's a number of employees who still remember the days who were here, who remembered, you know, the quarrels with the Russian army, an occasional shooting, and and so on. The, the mess that was that was here in the corridors and in, in the offices because they were they were searching office by office and so on, but uh, it was it must have been a sort of schizophrenic state. You know they were trying to uh, to pretend they were working. They were the, the Czech radio employees. They they actually were not working. Too simply puzzled to you know to uh, to look chaotic, 
And they succeeded in, in hiding the, the transmission, the real transmission away, and they were talking to the people, they were describing the situation, what's going on exactly, we are under occupation, and we do this, Russian army does that. And they managed to do that for, for two weeks, which I think is extraordinary. Back to Ari Chip. He quickly discovered that Radio Free Prague broadcasts were coming from a small studio in another part of Prague. It had been used for special broadcasts, which Radio Prague broadcast to support, amongst others, the Communist Party in Italy. Ulrich was able to help them with frequency advice. This is Radio Prague, Czechoslovakia, broadcasting continuously in English, French, German and Italian, as well as Czech, and bringing you late news bulletins and reports as we receive them of the situation here in occupied Czechoslovakia. The main radio building was built in 1930s. Probably it became, became operational in 1933, maybe earlier. And it was relatively small, and uh, the communist uh, Czechoslovak radio had a lot of people, and inevitably there were, there were several buildings and several uh, studios all uh, over Prague. And uh, so they made use of one, one of these studios that quite, uh, quite interestingly was also in the past... Uh, the seat of a communist uh, broadcasts from Czechoslovakia to Italy. It was called Oggi in Italia, and uh, it was in, in the Nusle, it, it was a villa in the Nusle district. But I didn't know that they were there. I was listening to my colleagues and I lost touch with them, but I, I heard their voices and I contacted one of my colleagues in the English section uh, by telephone and uh, we agreed on a secret meeting uh, and he, he led me into that building in Nusla district, district and then I started to cooperate with them, you know, working on the frequencies and uh, improving the makeshift schedule that was done very hastily and things like that. So that's how I got involved. That was part of a documentary by Jonathan Marks of media network Vintage Vault, dedicated to the memory of Ulrich Chip of Radio Prague. We'll have more of that documentary on another edition of WaveScan. And if you want to find other programs on the media network Vintage Vault, you can find it on the web at jonathanmarks.lib, as in Bolivia, syn.com. That's Jonathan Marks altogether, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-M-A-R-K-S dot L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. Now, the Voice of America's Chief National Correspondent, Steve Herman, is going to talk at the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters annual meeting in Washington, D.C. in July. 
Steve Herman will talk about an early fascination with shortwave radio, which he credits for the path to his career in broadcasting, now spanning six decades, and eventually ending up at VOA as an overseas bureau chief before covering the White House for four and a half years. Steve first tuned into VOA, writing to its headquarters as a child in Ohio, and receiving a response that, as an American, he wasn't eligible to enter its on-air contests. This intrigued him about VOA's mission as a solely external broadcaster. Steve attributes his teen years' experience with ham radio with giving him socialization skills, such as talking to strangers, learning basic physics, such as propagation and electronics, geography, and his DXing, and foreign language skills, initially through speaking basic Spanish and Japanese on HF single sideband. Steve was formerly the White House bureau chief and is now VOA's chief national correspondent. He spent more than a quarter of a century in Asia, including years of reporting from Tokyo, and subsequently as a VOA correspondent and bureau chief in India, Korea, and Thailand. Steve also served in 2016 as VOA's senior diplomatic correspondent based at the State Department. His travels have taken him to approximately 75 countries, which included on-scene reporting from combat zones, civil uprisings, and areas struck by major natural disasters. Steve is scheduled to speak at the NASB meeting on Friday, July 15th, in the meeting room at Radio Free Asia in Washington, D.C., That meeting will run from July 14th to the 16th, and anyone may attend free of charge. You can find full details about the meeting at the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters website, which is www.shortwave.org. That's www.shortwave.org. Then click on Annual Meeting Info. Now it's off to Bangladesh. Here's Salahuddin Dolar. Dear listeners and radio hobbyists, welcome you in the June 2022 edition of Bangladesh DX Report in Oviscan. This is Salahuddin Dollar from Ratshahi, Bangladesh. Glad to be back and thanks for listening the receiving log of different radio stations. 1st June 2022, KBS World Radio Indonesian Service while talking was heard at 1212 UTC on 9570 kHz. The SI code was 333. Reese Beyond Australia Hindi Gospel Song by OM was heard at 1215 UTC on 9610 kHz. The SI code was 444. ANSK World Japan Japanese Song was heard at 1225 UTC on 9750 kHz. The SI code was 444. KNLS, New Life Station, Alaska, English Service, OM Talking was heard at 1231 UTC on 9795 kHz. The SI code was 232. Radio Vatican, Russian Service, OIL's report about Ukraine Wiles talking was heard at 1250 UTC on 17730 kHz. The SIO code was 444. 
Radio Saudi Arabia Arabic service recitation from the Holy Quran was heard at 1254 UTC on 17625 kilohertz the ISI code was 333 FEBC radio Liang Yu in Lisu was heard at 1305 UTC on 12120 kHz. The SI code was 444. Voice of Vietnam, Indonesian service, World News was heard at 130820 kHz. The SI code was 1312 UTC on 11900 kHz. The SI code was 454. RTM YFM Malaysian song by YL was heard at 1328 UTC on 11665 kHz. The SI code was 322. 3rd June Trans World Radio Africa Arabic song was heard at 1340 UTC on 13580 kHz. The SIO code was 333. Vatican Radio Amhari OM Talking was heard at 1550 UTC on ডিএক্সবাংলাডিন Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week on WaveScan, more radio weddings and our Australian DX report. Several QSL cards are available for this program. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for WaveScan to the AWR address in Thailand. I'll give you in a moment and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in the program. They will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSL cards is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, 
Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. Again, that's Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. The email address for other correspondence to Wavescan, not reception reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.